So, good morning. <laughs> nice to see you all again. Um, I wanted to offer some uh, thoughts this morning on um, the happiness that comes with practice. I think uh, perhaps maybe we don't talk about this enough. <laughs> you know, it's like it, you have these teachings on dukkha, you know, the insight into suffering, insight into difficulty. and. Uh, I don't know, it's been my experience, I've certainly seen it with a, a lot of other people as well, that you know, maybe because of our um, tendency, the way that the mind operates, especially when it's operating so much through self-view, we'll tend to pick up these kinds of teachings through that view. And if that is one that tends to be self-denigrating and beating up on ourselves, then you know, even the Buddhist teachings are going to get picked up and looked at through those kinds of eyes, right? So you get this teaching on the importance of seeing suffering and uh, what you're going to get then is a, is a, a, a heaviness, you know, a, a tendency to be looking for what's wrong and what's difficult and wh- where the suffering is. You know, and, and in a way, I mean, it has to, fair enough, it has to be said, we can't be any other way, at least in the beginning of practice. Uh, but, you know, to be attuned to that as a, as a tendency in this mind, because there's a lot of risk in seeing it that way, you know, and only looking at the difficulty. You know, the heart gets uh, very hard and heavy. Um, and one thing we know from practice is that what we need is a very soft and a malleable and, and light heart. You know, there needs to be an expansiveness and an openness in it. So too much focusing on the difficult can tighten and contract. So, you know, the, the idea then is to uh, b- begin to like recognize that, yeah, practice is about um, insight into dukkha, for sure. You know, that's, that's d- definitely a part of it. Um, we've got to see that there is difficulty so that we offset the craving for it to be some other way. So, yes, that's part of practice. But the other side of practice is, is about inclining towards the good, inclining towards what's wholesome and skillful and what brings delight and what brings happiness. So, how are you going to do that if we don't even have the habit of looking for it, <laughs> you know? It's like one of my teachers said one time that, you know, because of this propensity for looking at difficulty, um, we could actually be experiencing the fruits of practice, the delights of practice, and be missing them. It's amazing, but it's possible, because the habit of the mind is not to go there. So, uh, I've certainly noticed this, as I said, in my own practice, and done a lot of reflection on it. And uh, you know, I've set up a couple of ways that kind of help me to look, uh, to begin to develop this habit of looking for the goodness, looking for the joy, looking for the happiness, um, and uh, just kind of ways to help this along. 
you know, one one way is um, I started to pay more attention to what one might call sort of the ordinary, everyday, mundane um, good feelings and happiness in life. You know, that you're sitting here in the hall this morning and, and maybe your cushion is just right. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> that feels great. You know, you, you know, maybe the body doesn't hurt so much. You know, those those kinds of moments. Or, or just when you're out with friends, especially like on a holiday weekend like this, out with friends and family. And there's happy moments. There's a, a lot of happy moments. You know, and, and we need to kind of linger there a little bit. Feel the, feel the, the joys of human birth, the pleasure, the, the happiness. You know, um, Noticing it in the environment, you know, like the kind of like I, I call I call it my Goldilocks effect. You know, the bit in me that's always looking for it's too hot, it's too cold. Well, what about when it's just right? You know, <laughs> what about when it just is is it feels good? You know, this especially here in California, you got the corner on the market. You know, I mean, the weather is just so beautiful, and I mean, there's times where I just feel like, oh wow, you know, you just want the the perfect temperature, the perfect air to touch every part of your body. You know, it feels so good. You're just tuning in to those kinds of moments. And in a way, it's like letting it register. There is this, too. You know, these kinds of moments do happen. And we're missing them. Or, you know, or, or the habit is to, you know, go to the whining instead. And so it's like, yeah, yeah, it's okay now, but it's going to be awful. You know, that, it, it's like, it, that it's, it's huge. It's a huge propensity. So, like, um, yeah, I like to just kind of soak in it a few minutes. Just, you know, breathe it in. Feel what it feels like to feel good. And do it regularly. Do it on a regular basis. Uh, developing this habit of noticing the good and noticing when it's all all right and, and lingering in it a little bit. It's more important than you think. Uh, I've, I've noticed that this kind of capacity is a key player in the development of, um, the, of samadhi. You know, because if you look in, in your mind, look in your heart, a lot of the um, sense of dis-ease in the mind is around like this constant um, anxiety almost about there's not going to be enough pleasure. There's not going to be enough happiness. I mean, look at it. Look in, look in your minds and hearts and see if that isn't true. It's like, oh, you know, this hypervigilance around making sure that everything is going to be all right, you know? Well, can you see, if you, you can feel what I'm saying, it's like, if you really make a habit of noticing that things are all right, a lot of the time, that it is okay, then that's going to soften this um, um, anxiety around not having enough of it. Can you feel that? It's like, it's like oh, the mind gets, oh, wait a minute, I don't need to be anxious about that. It, it, it comes. It comes of its own accord. It, I, I do, I, you, you get like a faith or uh, a trust in uh, the fact that the human birth does include happiness. You know? So, you know, the key player in the development of samadhi, you, 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 wouldn't, you might not think to look at it 
that way in the mundane happiness of life, bringing, bringing ease and samadhi in your meditation, but it will. And it's a key player also in the development of wisdom and understanding. You know, so it, because if you notice that, um, that there is pleasure, then that's going to be seen in, yeah, okay, it's going to seen, be seen as a companion with pain. It's not all difficult, and it's not all something that we have to fight and resist and get away from. There's this too. So if you can feel that, that it's like the, that starts to register, and the mind starts to get it that there's these waves, you know, that life is a rhythm, it's a movement from this uh, uh, stream of experiences of pleasure and pain. And so it's sort of coming in the back door, getting dukkha, getting it that there is difficulty, but by seeing that there is pleasure, that there is the opposite of that as well. You know, so you're getting, and, and you're also seeing, because by virtue of this stream and the highs and the lows, one is getting um, impermanence. Yeah? In subtle ways, maybe not even directly thinking about it, but the direct experience of it, it's like it reaches a critical mass at some point, and the mind goes, wow, it just, it's okay, it just keeps changing. You know, it, it, I don't need to be so anxious about it when it's painful, it's going to change. I don't need to be so uh, clingy to, to it, when it when there's pleasure, because I can't really do anything about um, making it happen. So, just noticing that, um, noticing the experience of pleasure actually brings a lot of insight into um, um, uh, suffering, into impermanence, and also into the, the teaching of anatta. Because you can't observe pleasure and happiness over a long period of time and not get it that you're not doing anything to make it happen. You know, we're, we're, we think we are. We can, we can imagine that we are. Because you set up everything like a holiday picnic. You know, everybody, well, we're going to have the greatest food. All the right people are going to be there. It's going to be a beautiful day. But then somebody comes and they're constipated or ornery or grumpy or something, you know, and throws a wrench in the whole works, you know. And so, uh, you know, there's a delusion around making happiness happen. And sometimes I'll be darned if it doesn't just happen when you're not even looking for it. You know, and it's like you will enjoy yourself whether you like it or not, you know. <laughs> it just comes in there and happens, you know. So just noticing, uh, developing a capacity to, to see these happy moments will bring about all this kind of understanding, all this kind of insight. I mean, I, I think we can make the practice a lot harder than it is, you know? It's really quite simple. Just notice sensations, feelings, and thoughts, and we'll get it. We'll get everything that we need to see. Uh, the more that we just notice with a, a posture of relaxed awareness. So um, that's, that's one thing I do, just kind of try to tune in to the ordinary, everyday delights of life. Notice the stream, notice the highs and the lows, you know.
But there's, I mean, let's take that up a notch too. There's a, there's another way to, to notice um, the goodness in our hearts and the goodness in our experience, um, the happiness, and that comes. Um, interestingly enough, at least this is the way I've seen it, is um, coming from uh, working with and practicing with the five precepts. And here's another way where I think we um, tend to focus too much, maybe on, on, the, on when we're transgressing. You know, and maybe it's because the way the precepts are um, phrased. I undertake the precept to refrain from, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. It kind of has the shades of uh, Ten Commandments and things like that, maybe earlier teachings, you know, thou shalt not. Uh, maybe it's just our cultural mindset. That's the way we hear it. You know, I, I don't know. Um, but between both the, the, some of the teachings in Buddhism, like say, say the five hindrances, where, you know, as soon as that comes up in the mind, as soon as you hear that teaching, then it's like, you just again become hyper vigilant, looking for the ways that you're being bad, you know, or, or um, look, looking at the five precepts in that way, you know, looking for the ways that we're uh, misbehaving, you know. So, and and this again, I don't fair enough. I don't want to say that's wrong. You want to be attuned to that, but we also have to know that that's going to be filtered at least early on in practice through this. Um, uh, the self-absorbed tendency, you know, this tendency to beat up on ourselves. So, you know, you marry those two, and what you've got is a, you know, a thrashing. You know, just a new, the precepts can become just a new way to beat up on ourselves. Well, what about using them also to see the good, to see the, the harmlessness, to see the kindness? You know, so that, for example, like say with the first precept of, of, of harmlessness, you know, we're, we're good at seeing when we're hurting. But what about the times when the heart, what's arising in the heart is, a, is an innate harmlessness? It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's there so much of the time. I mean, we're all running around thinking we're these heavy sons of guns, you know, and we're we're instinctively harmless. You know, and I just give as, as testament to that, like uh, just noticing the kinds of things that we do to um, care for one another, or care for insects, care for pets, care for uh, our children, you know. What, what's, that's all happening. It's like you don't have to be that way, you know. Nobody's making you be um, uh, a care for these uh, creatures. But, but, you know, just to con- contemplate that. Wow, that, that's coming up in this heart. This great care and concern for others. You know, I, I like to watch it when uh, I watch the news, you know, because um, the, the, you can look at the news and just whine and complain about how everybody is just always looking at what's wrong, you know. But... Um, when you watch what's going on in your own heart, I mean, it's, this is a fascinating practice. Like, I was really watching it last year with the um, tsunami uh, and the enormous pain that I and my friends and family felt around that. You know, well, just take a moment like that and um, contemplate that. Why, why is that? 
Why, why are we in such pain around stuff like that? It, it's actually pointing to a harmlessness in this heart. It's, it's like it, it's innate. It, it, it's actually more fundamental and more real than the um, aberrations around that. So that um, you hear a story like that, you hear what's happening to people's lives and you feel it and there's this rub. And it, so what's happening is something is rubbing up against an innate harmlessness and it hurts. It's like, oh. You know, in the mind you can go to these places that say, you know, well, it shouldn't be that way. You know, people shouldn't be hurting each other. Natural disaster shouldn't happen. All this, you know, you can do that with it. And I think we do that too much. But, but what happens if instead you just um, feel the feeling? You know, right there in that moment, you will feel that what is happening is something is rubbing up against a, a deep and profound knowing and experience of harmlessness as the way. You know, it's beautiful. So you, you, you can f- see it and feel it. You get inc- incredible um, strength of conviction about the Buddha's teachings, you know, because he says in no uncertain terms that our innate um, quality of human being is, is um, goodness. It, it, that, that's, that's the core. <laughs> the rest of it is superficial and uh, being driven by uh, ignorance and craving. But the core is the goodness, you know. So we, we have to know that. And we have to feel that. Uh, and it's like, you know, you sort of fan the flame of it a little bit. Rest in it. So, I mean, that, that's one of the precepts. Looking at the second one where it's about um, uh, not taking things that aren't given. Well, the, the core of that, what, what we're looking, trying to see in that practice is um, an innate uh, sense of care and concern for the welfare of others. You know, generosity, um, the experience of contentment. So, like, you can tune in um, to those moments when there is contentment, you know. And when there is uh, care and concern for the welfare of others. And that is there much more than we might first think, you know. We don't normally walk around thinking of ourselves as generous, um, concerned people. But we, we are. <laughs> you know, amazingly so. You know, just look and see the experience of um, when... Uh, we're not being self-absorbed when our actions are all um, uh, performed with concern for the welfare of other people. And you want to know what feels good? <laughs> That's a good feeling. Now, why? And, and so you tune into that. Why, why would it feel so good? You know, it, it's like it, it's again, it's pointing to this. Um, innate quality of the heart. There's no rub. There's no, nothing is in discord with the way 
that the heart is naturally. Yeah? It's lovely. You know, we, we have to know this. We have to, to access this stuff and know it for ourselves. <coughs> we are extremely happy when we're caring for one another. Got goosebumps. <laughs> Very happy state. So that, that's got to get in there. That's, that's got to register. And so that the mind will incline that way more and more. It's like the, this is the wisdom that the Buddha is talking about. We understand self-absorption is uh, not a happy state. And it's not our innate uh, characteristic. It's learned and it's ignorant and it's um, driven by craving. So then there's the third precept, which is it's often framed in terms of um, sexual misconduct, but I like to take the, the broader brush stroke about that and recognize that I think what he's getting at here is that um, there is a, um, an unhappiness uh, uh, in the heart when um, we're manipulating each other for our own gratification. You know, and we do it all the time. <laughs> it's like, a, I can't believe, you know, the subtle ways that we have <laughs> of making each other do what we want each other to do. <laughs> be what we want each other to be, you know. So there's that, and we have to see that, you know. But also, it's about um, noticing those times when um, we're quite happy to let each other be, you know, to, to, uh, we're not, I'm not looking to you to make me happy. I'm not needing anything from you. I'm not wanting you to be anything for me. You know, wow. <laughs> Tune into that feeling. What does that feel like? You know, it's tremendous delight. You just get chill bumps. You know, all the hair on your body stands up. You know, it's like wow. That's that is what we call love. You know, the, in its purest sense, the the wish, um, that the, the complete and utter allowance of of you to be who you are, and and with no implication on what that might bring to me, how that might gratify me. And, you know, and the same with the other the other precepts. Uh, so that with speech, you know, we're keen to see where we're not telling the truth or where we're, um, you know, uh, just uh, speaking unkindly of each other. But it's a very important part of practice to tune in to what it feels like, say, to be completely responsible for things that we've done, such that we say, we tell the truth about it, you know. It's, a, it's a so much happier state than trying to figure it, cover it up and run around and try to tell other lies to, you know, keep it going, keep it, uh, people from knowing what we've done and who we are and what have you. You know, so it's just noticing what it feels like in the moments that there's this wonderful just uh, letting go into the way that we've behaved, you know. Or, or just recently noticing, um, for example, um, that impulse to 
you know, something happens, somebody said something I don't like, and then, you know, it's sort of out of a defense mechanism or as a, out, of a, out of a way to make it not hurt so much, uh, we say something unkind about them. You know, well, what happens if, what happens in those moments? And th- these happen through the months and years of practice where something intercepts that. And you either refrain from saying something unkind or you actively intercept it as it's about to happen. You know, feel that one. Whoa, <laughs> that's, that feels good. That's, that's metta. That's kindness. That's the expression of kindness through speech. Where, and, and I think we can set our standards pretty high with that. But I think the, the minimum standard is enough where it's not just that we wish people well, but at the, at the minimum that we don't go to wishing them harm or don't go to the place of saying something unkind. You know, that's, that's fabulous. You know, that, feels, that, that feels very, very good. And, and so we get it, you know, by looking at this kind of stuff. And then, of course, the, the last one where, you know, there's those moments where we don't get caught up in things that dull our mind. I was, I was talking to somebody recently who is addicted to law and order. You know, she just loves, loves law and order. She can't stop watching it. And then to make it worse, you know, A&E has these marathons, you know, <laughs> where they show it all day, you know, or all week or something like that. And, and uh, she was commenting about how... Um, how, how horrible it felt because she, so many of the episodes she's seen and that's scary you know to, just to realize how many of these episodes one has actually seen but you know you either don't oh yeah hang on anyway because you don't remember what happened you know and you just want to <laughs> you want to stay in there and watch the whole thing you know but then having the experience of um, just uh, once or twice turning it off you know and how that felt, the capacity to, 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 to throw the switch in the track and move towards not um, obsessing and not being compulsive, not dulling the mind in this way. You know, she was so happy. <laughs> she was like, I didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't do it. It was great, you know. So just no- noticing these, uh, you know, noticing... Um, both the mundane, ordinary happiness and noticing the happiness that comes from um, uh, the, the skillful living and recognizing sort of the innate wish to be harmless, to be uh, respectful and not demanding of each other, uh, to be um, concerned for the welfare of each other the natural innate uh, quality to, to be kind and truthful in our speech. You know, how, it's just so much better. <laughs> it feels so much better to do that, right? Uh, the, the, the quality that wants a clear mind, that experiences a clear mind. So um, one of the one of the other ways to come at this um, kind of training is um, a teaching that um, I first came across uh, in one of the chants that we do. You may, you may do this chant too, the sharing of blessings chant. I think a lot of you probably know that. And uh, it's a chant where we, um, 
in, you know, say, say at the end of the day or at the, during a retreat or something like that, we, we um, try uh, just to reflect on the goodness that um, we've been exhibiting all day by practicing in the way that we have and not, and then knowing that that is uh, a good cultivation, good activity, not being piggy about it and grabbing it for ourselves, you know, but just sharing the blessing sharing the goodness of the practice that we've done with other people. So uh, uh, one of the lines in this uh, chant that I often get asked about is, um, it says, um, "May uh, we're wishing well for you, may you soon attain the threefold bliss and realize Nibbana. So people say, well, well what's the threefold bliss? <laughs> you know, that sounds good. <laughs> I want some of that. <laughs> and so this is another reflection to, to come out the same kind of thing. And, and Andy and I, um, this uh, Pali scholar that I teach with, look, look, looked it up in the in the suttas and you know found a number of references for it, where um, the Buddha talks about um, worldly happiness celestial happiness and the happiness of Nibbana. This is the threefold bliss. And this can be used again as a model or, or a, a, a tool for reflection on our experience. So, you know, he, he seems to say the most about the worldly happiness, interestingly enough, where, um, oh, there's, I mean, you might, you might find some surprises here where he talks, for example, about... Um, the happiness of being free of debt, you know. Um, in in the Mahamangala Sutta, he talks a lot about the, the happiness of um, being able to care for your family, being able to care for your parents in their old age, the happiness of, um, of um, supporting uh, centers of learning of the Dhamma like this. <clears throat> you, you know, you sure, surely all felt that, the delight of... <clears throat> having found this place in, 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 no, in a very short period of time, not having a mortgage you know, anymore, uh, the support, the tremendous amount of support that's poured forth to keep a place like this going. Um, and he talks about uh, the happiness of supporting the monastic community, the happiness of, of, of um, um, supporting publications and the spread of Dhamma you know, in, that, in that form. All these things feel feel very good, um, and they're things that we experience at, at this level that he's calling worldly happiness. But then he, he also talks about um, uh, this was interesting to me that there's a there's a happiness that comes in, and one doesn't often reflect upon this. I think um, in in recognizing that in this birth uh, one is enjoying some very good the fruits of some very good karma, some very wholesome karma, the fact that one is drawn to the Dhamma and listening and, and, and has a good sense to listen to it and to put it into practice, that kind of thing. Um, but also um, the, the, the recognizing that one's life doesn't have a lot of violence in it or you know, that, that uh, there, there are some very good conditions. You know, one's born in a comfortable culture and things like this. Um, it's not to have any kind of an inflated sense about that, but more just to turn around and then recognize that this is earned. <laughs> this is a fruit, you know, and, and to be happy about that, 
to use it well. That that's the primary purpose of for reflecting upon it. It's like, you know, one of the um, one of the uh, reflections that he he uh, encourages us to think about on a regular basis is um, you know, how well we're spending our time. You know, reflecting upon. Uh, the good fortune of this life and how well we're spending the, our time. Um, but I, I think some of the most important things about this worldly happiness uh, come more through the subtle aspects of practice where um, he talks certainly about the happiness of um, <clears throat> maybe, maybe not so much necessarily being able to behave skillfully all of the time but the, the more subtle happiness of remembering that you can throw the switch in the tracks. You know, and re- being able to see, say, for example, the arising of not so wholesome impulses and the, the value of sati, the value of mindfulness in moments like that, that allows us to, to slow it down and consider um, whether or not we want to go in that direction. You know, just that. that that's, I don't know about you, but I, I experienced that over and over again as this, ah, <laughs> I got in there. <laughs> you know? something, something got engaged and I didn't follow the unwholesome impulse. And maybe, maybe a few seconds later you do. But something came, and this is what he's talking about, just that bit in there, the remembering that got in there and um, became a player in what it is that uh, you're going to do, you know, the, the actions that you're going to take at that moment. It's huge. That it's only possible as a human being. You know, so that, that needs to be contemplated. Uh, that is mindfulness, is awareness, is possible as a human being. So feeling that, you know, that the happiness that comes at this level. So um, at, at the worldly level, the happiness is one of about of um, sort of starting to get it uh, that relinquishment is a good thing. <laughs> you know, it's like we we in the, in the worldly way, the normal way we think about worldly happiness, it's about acquisition. You know, it's about what can I get to gratify myself, to to make myself more comfortable, to be more happy. And then wondering, being all confused, why we're not happy. You know, it's, it's like not getting it that it's not in any of that. You know, so this is a the, at this level, it's a lot more about um, beginning to see the the tremendous um, happiness that comes from the the, the letting go. You know, it's a, there's this, and then there's this, and then there's this. And we're we're beginning to um, see that. So ah, you know, uh, ah. <laughs> That's how I experience it. It's like you know, being that porker that I can be, and ah, uh, you know, just letting it go. So <clears throat> worldly happiness is a lot about relinquishment. And that, you know, as a Western, as somebody born in Western culture, that sounds like a dirty word, you know. <laughs> so that has to be, you know, you've got to take on the culture. That's got to be turned around, you know, because that's, that's not the experience of it, is it? You know, the experience of relinquishment is, is delight. 
It's worldly happiness. It's a happiness that can take place at this level. Uh, and then the, the celestial happiness is kind of up in the ante on that, taking it up a few notches. It's like, say, with the precepts. It's not like you take on more precepts necessarily, although that could be part of it. It's more like um, refining the way that one is working with the precepts. So I think a lot of it is sort of beginning to recognize celestial, the Brahma Viharas, the happy abodes, recognizing the mind is happier in certain states than others and inclining towards those, you know, beginning to incline towards the happier states because we, we've seen it, because we've experienced it and we know that it's better, <laughs> that we're, you know, it's, it's more attractive and so that the heart uh, inclines that way a lot more. So at, at this level, it's not so much the relinquishment, it's like that has matured this is part of the teaching that goes on through the Anapanasati Sutta. Is like the, it, it, there's a there's relinquishment, but then there's a, a, as wisdom um, grows and there's more understanding, then it's as if the writing of the path takes place more subtly and more automatically. You, you know, it's like you're not coming in so much after you've grabbed hold and you have to let go. But you're coming in on it more at the level where uh, you see the impulse and you know it. You know, you know where that goes. <laughs> I know where that leads. And, and so there's a, there's a writing of the direction that we go in uh, just out of wisdom, out of understanding. So it's not, you don't have to let go so much. You're not going there in the first place. You know, but you're still the the heart still has a lot of unwholesome and unskillful impulses, so it's not free of that. But one is inclining towards um, the good more automatically. And then obviously the happiness of nibbana is when that matures to the point where even the impulses to behave um, uh, poorly um, are dried up. They, they completely evaporate. <laughs> you know, so it's said of an arhant that this is a, a being who cannot behave unskillfully. It, it's not there. It, it's gone. You know, that, that impulse, that tendency, uh, no matter what the manifestation, is completely gone. Now, now you're talking some happiness. <laughs> you know, this is where Ajahn Amaroa says, you know, Buddha was the ultimate pleasure seeker. This is the ultimate pleasure that he's talking about. You know, this is, we can, this is uh, our direction. This is where it's leading to, to experiencing that kind of uprooting of the unskillful tendencies completely, totally, never to arise again. Now that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's worthy of our efforts, isn't it? Worthy of our practice. So it, it's interesting to, I, I find it interesting to reflect in this way because I think there's a process in, in the waking up where it, it's like uh, from the unawakened perspective, it's as if happiness is a commodity. You know, it, it's something that you have to do something in order to get. You know, 
and there's ways to get it and you manipulate life and you manipulate each other you manipulate the world to make it happen you know and this is from the Buddhist perspective this is total ignorance you know. but from from this perspective um, it, one recognizes that um, it's like uh, one of the one of the monks Ajahn Suchito put it so beautifully one time he said um, happiness is the ground that you fall back on when you let go when, when all that impulse uh, that foolish uh, that impulse is driven by craving and foolishness are relinquished and so you get to see this wonderful experience where it's uh, we actually get it through direct experience that we've actually been here all the time but for going with um, arisen um, impulses driven by ignorance we would have been resting here so so the idea is to um, come back home in a way (laughs) come back to the ground that um, is our uh, uh, innate characteristic you know you know you might say our destiny but in a way I think that's a little bit off. It, it, it's, it's not like it's out there, it's here. <laughs> it's not like someday, somewhere. It's more uh, an opening to the way that it actually is. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So I'll offer you these thoughts for your reflection this morning. I hope they're helpful. And if you'd like to stay, if anybody has any questions or wants to talk some more, I'll stick around a little bit, but I know some of you need to get going. So thank you.